Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Okay, good evening. Um, this evening I want to share from Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. Um, it's interesting, at the beginning and the end of the Bible, God's presence is with His people in a, in a very special way. In the beginning of the Bible you have Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the, of the day, in the Garden of Eden, experiencing God's presence. And at the end of the Bible, you have the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. God saying, I'm going to be with my people. I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. And the reality is we were made not only in God's image, but for God's presence. We, we, we need God's presence more than we realize. And, and even, even you know, people who are not religious uh, even people who are secular, in fact, have started discovering this. So, whereas, um, you know, a few decades ago, people would say, no, I'm, I'm not religious at all. I'm an atheist and I'm, I'm secular, whatever. Now people will tend to say, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Sort of acknowledging that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure which direction to go in exactly, but I, I, have a, I register a need for something spiritual. Just the emptiness of secularism doesn't quite do it for me. You know, I, I, I realize I need something more. Not always realizing what it is that they need, but the Bible tells us it's God's presence. We were made for God's presence. We need God's presence. We can't do without it, really. Uh, I think it was St. Augustine, um, the famous church father, who said, the heart of man is restless. Uh, In fact, he said said it as a prayer. He said, you you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And the passage I'm going to read in, in 2 Samuel 6 is about the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. So we're going to talk about that for, for, for a moment. Just uh, read the passage with me. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. That's quite a lot. And he and all his men uh, set out for Baal in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are in the ark, that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David And the whole house of Israel was celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cistrums, and cymbals. Uh, When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those 
who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps. He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And uh, this tells of an interesting account of how the ark of the covenant or the ark of the Lord is brought back to Jerusalem eventually. Now, the ark of the covenant was a, a wooden box with the tablets of the Ten Commandments in it. And this wooden box was overlaid with uh, gold. And um, on top of the box, there was a lid with two cherubim facing outwards and their wings sort of facing inwards and covering the lid, the so-called mercy seat of the box. And that box, the Ark of the Covenant, was the only piece of furniture which was kept in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So when you went into the tabernacle, there were sort of three areas. There was the outer court that you went in, and then you went into the holy place, and there were all kinds of furnishings in each. But in the Holy of Holies, you only had the Ark of the Covenant, representing the very presence of God, representing uh, God's presence. So what I want to do tonight is just talk a little bit about that, about the, the need for the Ark. And obviously, I, I take the Ark as representing God's presence, the need for the Ark, the danger of the Ark, and then the gospel of the ark. So uh, let's, let's jump into that. So why do we need the ark? Or, or why do we need God's presence? Uh, just a couple of reasons. This is not an exhaustive list. But one reason is just blessing. With God's presence comes blessing. Just, like I said, we were created for God's presence. And just like flowers flourish in the light of the sun, we flourish in the light of God's presence. And just like flowers wither when there's no sun, we wither without God's presence. And um, we even see it in the history of Israel. Uh, remember when they, when they came into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan, and, and then the first um, victory they had was at Jericho. Well, when they crossed the Jordan, it was the Levites with the Ark of the Covenant that stepped into the Jordan ankle deep. And as soon as they stepped into the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, the waters of the Jordan, which was in flood, dried up, and the whole of Israel crossed through on dry land. And it was as they were walking, once again, when they, when they came to Jericho, God told them, you know, put the Ark of the Covenant in front. And they walked with the Ark of the Covenant seven times around Jericho. For seven days, they walked once around, and the seventh day, they walked around seven times. And then they gave the shout and they blew the shofars and, and, you know, victory shout. And the walls crumbled and they ran in and they, they took the city. And so it's just God's blessing. And the, the interesting thing for me is that um, most people, even people who don't believe, want God's blessing. I, uh, I heard someone say, even atheists want to go to heaven. They just don't want God to be there. <laughs> you know? So everyone wants the blessings of God, but they don't necessarily want God, the God of the blessings, you know. Um, the reality is most people want God's provision more than His presence. They want His blessings more than they want Him. Um, but, and and, and God, God doesn't begrudge us His blessings. He wants to give us His blessings, but His blessings come with Him. The biggest blessing He wants to give us is Himself, His very presence. Uh, and then the second thing that... Um, the second reason why we need the, the ark is God's rule. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed that little phrase um, where it said that God is enthroned between the cherubim. Between the, the cherubim uh, that's, that's, that cover the, the, the mercy seat. In other words, the ark of the covenant doesn't only represent God's presence, but God's ruling presence. In other words, his presence to rule over his people. Now, David... Remember, King Saul was the first king, and David was anointed king, but then he fled for Saul, from Saul for quite a while. And eventually, when Saul, after Saul died, he became first the king of, of the two southern tribes of Judah, and then eventually, after a few more years, the king of, of the whole of Israel. And eventually he moved, I think it was from Hebron to, to Jerusalem, to go and establish his throne and rule Israel from Jerusalem. But David was a good leader, and he didn't, 
he was thinking, how can I show the people of Israel that I am their king, but my kingship only points towards God as the ultimate king? I was, and, and that's just good leadership, you know. Good leadership is, uh, as a Christian, is saying, how can my leadership point to God's leadership? So as a parent, I need to ask, how can I cause my leadership as a parent to point my children to the leadership of God, the ultimate parent? How can I, at work, cause my leadership over my team to point them to God as the ultimate leader? Ask yourself that for a moment. Most of us are probably leading people, or at least will lead people at some stage. How can my leadership point to God's leadership? Does it? What can I do? What should I do to make sure that it does? And David's answer was to bring the Ark of the Covenant because that represented the throne of God on earth. Okay? And so he said, if I'm going to rule from Jerusalem, I need to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the throne of God, to Jerusalem to show the people that I am only ruling on God's behalf. I, I am the king, but I'm, I'm a proxy king, pointing to God as the ultimate king. And he wanted to show the people that, that their safety and their provision and their security lay not in having a big army or in you know, having all kinds of military plans or having a brave king who can slay giants, but in the presence of God, in fellowship with God. That's where safety lies. And David showed that by bringing the ark, representing the presence of God. And then the third one, uh, I mean, those are all sort of corporate reasons for, for David to want the Ark of the Covenant uh, to return. But he also had personal reasons. And the main personal reason is that David lusted for the presence of God. And you see that in the Psalms, right? I mean, you cannot read the Psalms without getting the distinct impression that David loved God pre God's presence. He was desperate for God's presence. Remember the, the famous song, As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Psalm 16, verse 11, in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures evermore. Psalm 63, uh, God, you are my God, earnestly will I seek you. Your, 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 your loving kindness is better than life. And you could just see David was, he just, he just loved the presence of God. He was desperate for the presence of God. And that stands in stark contrast to King Saul, the first king of Israel. If you go and read we read, it, we read now from, from 2 Samuel 6, but if you go and read 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 2, it says that the Ark of the Covenant spent 20 years in, at Abinadab's house. Now, what happened in, in, second, uh, in 1 Samuel 6 was, well, actually, I need to backtrack a bit earlier than that. Um, you know, in, in the beginning of, of 1 Samuel, the Israelites are fighting against the Philistines, and the Philistines defeat them. You know, they're, they're big arch enemy, you know, they're defeated by them. They're like mourning and sackcloth and ask, you know, how can God do this to us? And, oh, the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go and f get the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh and bring it back because that represents God's presence with us. And, and, and remember, you know, he opened the Jordan for us. And, and when he was, the Ark of the Covenant was with us. We sacked Jericho and all the other places and so on. So, you know, if, if the Ark of the Covenant is with us, then we're going to be victorious. Um, unfortunately, you know, was, there was a lot of sin in, in Israel, and, you know, they were trying to use God's presence in a magical way. And, you know, God's not a means to an end. God's not going to allow himself to be used. If God is not the end in himself, he's not going to just be a means to an end to us. If God is a means to an end, then whatever that end is, is, is your true God. And so they, they, they brought the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh and Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's two very sinful sons, uh, were, were sort of part of the procession. And once again, the Philistines defeated them, routed them, killed Hophni and Phinehas, slaughtered the army, took the Ark of the Covenant, and as a trophy, took it back to, to Philistia and kept it there in, 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 in the, the temple of Dagon, their god. But, I mean, the presence of God and, uh, you know, at the Ark of the, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant um, just wreaked havoc. You know, when the next morning when they came to the temple, Dagon had fell on his face in front of the Ark and he was 
worshiping, you know, the ark, you know, worshiping God. Um, and that happened, and they put him back on his pedestal, and he fell off again, you know, and, and eventually his arms and his legs started breaking off, you know, as he fell before the ark of God. And then plagues started to break out, you know, and all kinds of diseases broke out amongst the Philistines. So they sent, you know, the ark of the covenant all over, you know, we don't want this thing, you know, send it somewhere else. So eventually, you know, it became so bad, they said, listen, we don't want this this God, you know, he's dangerous, you know, we don't want him in our, so they, they took a, a, a new uh, wooden cart, and uh, they took a cow who had just had a baby, and, 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 and sort of hitched the cart to it, and put the ark on the cart, now, uh, when a cow has just had, had a, a calf, there's no way she's going to leave her calf, a natural maternal instinct is to stay with that calf, but the cow, lowing as it went, took the road, and went back to Israel, showing that this was, you know, of God, you know. And anyway, it ended up, this ark, at, at uh, Abinadab's house, just inside the border of Israel. And there, and, and that was, that was in, in around 1 Samuel 6. In, in 1 Samuel 9, Saul is anointed as king of Israel. And is king for a, couple, for a good many years. And during all of those years, the ark of the covenant stays Right there to be near Dab's house. In other words, Saul had no need, no passion, no desire for God's presence. It just shows you the, the ambivalent relationship he had with God and, and with his presence. He was happy for God to sort of be at the periphery of his kingdom. He was happy for God to be at a distance. And many Christians are like that. They, they're quite happy you know, to, to never really experience God's presence and have God's presence manifest among them. And God show himself. But that's the contrast between Saul and David. David wasn't happy for the ark to be there at the border, at the periphery of his kingdom. He wanted the presence of God, the ark of the covenant, to be right at the center of Israel. And he wanted everyone to know that it's not him ruling, ultimately. It's God ruling. And we've got to be like that. We've got to have that same passion for God's presence. Um, so David brings the ark uh, to Jerusalem, and um, notice he brings the ark on a new cart drawn by oxen. Um, and the ark, the, the 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 cart is led by Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, and and they were from Judah. In other words, they were from the tribe of Judah. They weren't Levites. Okay, that's important. We'll see just now why. And. Um, notice he takes 30,000 chosen men. This is a big deal for David. I mean, how much effort does it take to mobilize 30,000 people? How much does that cost? I mean, you've got to feed these guys. You know, you've got to transport them. I mean, this is a big deal. So this is a massive procession, and it just tells you how big a deal this is to David. If he mobilizes 30,000 people to be part of this procession, taking, I mean, it's, it's not like David expected to be attacked while he was transporting the Ark of the Covenant. So it wasn't for safety and protection that he took 30,000 men. It was because this was a big deal, and he wanted to show all of Israel this is a big deal. <clears throat> and I'm really committed to this, and I'm willing to put effort into this. Um, and they, it says they celebrate celebrated, they were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. Now, these guys, they were going for it. You know, as they were taking the ark back on, the, on this, this wooden cart, they were singing and dancing. I mean, I really enjoyed our worship, but I'm not sure we were worshiping with all our might. Okay, we, we were worshiping, but, but they were worshiping with all their might. Okay. They were, they, were like, they, they were like dancing and singing and shouting and screaming and going boss. And the whole worship team was there. The whole band was there. They, 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 with songs and, and it says harps and lyres and all kinds, even sistrums, you know, instruments. I don't even know what they are, you know. The whole band was there that would have made our, our lovely band look really small. I mean, David went big. And they were worshiping and they were shouting and screaming and blowing the shofar, the trumpet, etc. And... Um, then the oxen stumble, and Uzzah puts out his hand to steady the Ark of the Covenant. And 
just imagine the, the scene. Just imagine the scene, you know. All the shouting and dancing and screaming and rejoicing. And they're really happy. And they're really worshiping the Lord with all their might. And then Yuzah touches the ark and it drops dead. And like, <laughs> all of a sudden, everything goes quiet. And, and, and someone starts to scream. And, you know, a few people get hysterical. And they start to back off the ark, you know. And like, what's going on now, you know. Imagine how they must have felt, you know, from this great rejoicing. And, and you are probably well-meaning, you know, putting out his hand to steady the ark. And he dies. Imagine what effect that must have had on them. And eventually, I mean, D- David becomes angry. And he's afraid. He's angry and he's afraid. And he's like, how, how can the, the ark of the Lord ever come to me? How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Um, and, you know, why? Why did, why did Yuzah die? Was it just because he was breaking the rules? Because that's what many people say. Oh, you know, God's just a grumpy God. He's just a, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a bad-tempered God, you know. And, and if you come too close to him, you know, and you break his nitpicky little rules, then he's going to smite you, you know. But is, is that what's going on? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going on at, at all. Because, I mean, if, if you think about it, they were already breaking the rules because the rules said not only that no one may touch the Ark of the Covenant, but you're, supposed, you're not supposed to transport the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. The Levites are supposed to carry it. But even when they carry it, you know, they had rings on, on each corner of the, of the Ark and, and golden or wooden poles overlaid with gold, um, through them, and the, the Levites had to carry the, the Ark of the Covenant on that pole. So they didn't even touch the Ark directly. But, but I mean, they were already breaking the rules. That's the point. So if God just wanted to strike them for breaking the rules, then, you know, he would have done it before. I don't think it's just about the rules being broken. I think there's something a lot more fundamental that both Yuza and David didn't get about God. And God is so committed to teaching it to us that um, you know, one of the best ways to, to visual aids is one of the best ways to, to teach slow learners. And, and God here does a very dramatic visual aid, you know, because he wanted to teach something very important, very fundamental to, um, to the Israelites. And here's what he wanted to teach them. You know, so often we, we miss the forest of the gospel for the the trees of the, the laws. The two things that, that God wanted to teach, teach Israel that are, that's absolutely fundamental and extremely important. And the first is your sin is more serious than you think. You see, user wanted to steady the Ark of the Covenant because he thought that... Um, the dusty ground would defile the ark more than his dirty hands. He thought the dusty ground would defile the ark of the covenant more than his sinful hands. You see, he didn't realize that his sinful hands are more dirty than the dusty ground of the earth. He didn't realize how serious his sin was. And, and, and God, throughout the Israel of Israel, you know, God says, you know, I'm so holy. You know, and you are unholy. And if you're unholy and you come into my holy presence, you're going to get hurt. So when they're at the mountain and God is touching the mountain, God says, don't let anyone touch the mountain because they're going to die. And when God is, you know, his presence is upon the Ark of the Covenant, he says, don't touch the Ark, you're going to die. Is it because God is trying to be mean? No. I mean, when a moth flies into a flame, it sees this beautiful flame, the light looks lovely, it's attracted to it, flies into the flame, and then... You know, it expires. You know, does that make the flame evil? Does that make the flame evil? No. The flame is just being itself. Okay? If you take your car and you drive at 120 kilometers an hour into a brick wall and you die, does that make the wall evil? No. The wall is just being itself. If you build a big fire, bonfire, and jump into it and burn to a crisp, does that make the fire evil? No. The fire is just being itself. You see, the problem with Yuzah, and with David for that matter, was that they weren't accepting 
God for who he reveals himself to be. He says, I am holy. I am a holy God. I'm a holy God. And your sin is more serious than you realize. And some of you might be sitting here thinking, oh, any typical preacher, you're exaggerating a bit again. Yeah, really, you know, I'm, uh, I know I'm not perfect, but, but, I'm, but I'm basically a decent guy, you know. I'm, I'm not that bad. Well, if your sin is more serious than you think, then you won't think that your sin is as serious as it is. I mean, if that statement is true and your sin is more serious than you think, then, then in your sinfulness and your sinful evaluation of your own sin, you're going to think your sin's not that bad. Right? I'm sorry, I'm being pretty blunt here. <laughs> I hope I'm not offending you too much. But, but the reality is, to those who are evil, evil is not so evil. The very fact that we think our sin is not so serious shows us how serious our sin really is. Boy, yeah. And I'm not pointing the finger. I mean, I'm, I'm part of it. You know, I'm, I'm like Uzzah and David in that sense as well. So that's the first lesson that God wants to teach us here. And this is the bad news that sort of precedes the good news. The bad news is that our sin is more serious than we realize. The good news is that God is not Jerry Maguire. Okay, I, the text doesn't say that explicitly, but that's basically what it means. Okay, who have you seen, <laughs> who have you seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Okay, remember that famous line, because he's, he's the sports agent and um, uh, played by Tom Cruise, and then there's this, um, this American football guy played brilliantly by Cuba Gooding Jr., and, and he's, he's representing him, and, and, and this guy's saying to him, help me, and then, then Jerry Maguire says, help me help you. <laughs> help me help you. Well, God is saying, I am not Jerry Maguire. I don't need you to help me help you. Can you see that that's what user wanted to do? He wanted to help God help him. Okay, God's going to help us by bringing his presence with all the blessing that comes along with it, with all the benefits that come along with it to Jerusalem. He's going to help us. But I need to help God help us. And what God is saying through this incident with user is, you need to realize that you cannot help me help you. You cannot. Everything is by grace. You... you, you Uh, Corne Becker, a um, friend of mine, always says, you know, when, when, he, when he goes to the Christian section of, say, Wordsworth or exclusive books, and he finds books about, you know, um, basically self-help Christian books, and he takes them out of the Christian section and puts them into the sci-fi section where they belong, you know, or the fantasy section. Because he says there is no such thing as Christian self-help. The problem that user didn't realize and that we need to realize is we cannot help ourselves and we cannot help God help us. We need to humble ourselves and realize that we cannot help God help us. Because that's what all religion is about. All other religions, except the gospel, is an attempt to help God help you. Be a good boy or a good girl, bring a great track record to God, and he says, okay, that's good enough. The problem with God is He is so good that nothing we can do is good enough. Nothing we can do is good enough. That's the, that's the bad news. <laughs> and David, when he sees this, you know, Jesus' death, death results in anger and fear in David. And David says, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? How can God, I mean, if, if this is true, you know, and, and many people have a real problem with this. They say, yes, you see, that what, that, what happened there to user, that's the problem with Christianity. That's why I don't believe in this God. Because he's this fickle, you know, grumpy um, God who just likes to kill people. No. You know, and then they say, okay, we must get beyond God being this holy God to God being a God of love. Well, he is a God of love. And we'll see that in a moment. But he's also a holy God. See, God isn't who we want him to be. He is who he is. He is who he is. And um, so David gets really angry and he, and he gets afraid. And, and I've seen this happen with so many people. Um, 
when they run up against the reality of who God really is, not who they want him to be, not who they pretend he is, then they get angry at God and they get afraid of God. And they say, how can I allow this dangerous God, how can his presence ever come to be with me? In fact, I don't want him with me. And they do like David and they're like, um, over there, you know, put him over there, <laughs> you know, find somewhere to dump him, you know, and they, I can just imagine this scene, you know, they go to Obed-Edom, and he was very close to Jerusalem, his house, and they, like, bring the ark of the coming there, and Obed-Edom is like, no, no, I don't want to, say, sorry, buddy, you know, it's like finding somewhere, where, you know, someone's backyard where they can dump some to- toxic waste, you know, this is not a gift, you know, <laughs> and, um, They leave the Ark of the Covenant there for three months, and God does bless Obed-Edom and his entire household. And God makes sure that David gets to hear about it, because God wants to show David, you know, I am a holy God, but my presence does bring blessing. It is good for you. It is necessary. And in that three months, David obviously comes to his senses, and he realizes that he was the one who made the mistake. See, he... You know, and, and we like this in the charismatic church. I mean, you get, like I said, soul churches who don't, who don't care about the presence of God. And obviously, we're not like that. But then you get user, user churches. They're very excited about the presence of God. They want to bring in and usher in the presence of God, but they want to do it the world's way. They want to do it on an ox cart, the way the Philistines did. Not the way that God intended it to happen. Not the way the Word says it should happen. But the world's way. And there are so many churches and even people doing that, trying to, bring, to, trying to do the right thing, but in the wrong way. And then they burn their fingers or even die and really get hurt because they're doing the right thing, but in the wrong way. Um, and so, um, David, when he sees Obed-Edom being blessed and he realizes his mistake, you know, he's, he, he says, I'm, I, I still love God's presence. I want God's presence. I'm still excited about it, but I'm going to do it the right way this time. And it, it says um, in the text, that when those who bore the ark had gone six paces. In other words, those who bore the ark, they went, it, it implies, you can go and read the fuller account in First Chronicles 15. It implies they were no longer transporting the ark on an ox cart. The Levites were now carrying the ark the way it was supposed to happen. Um, so they were those who bore the ark, who carried the ark, according to the word of God, not according to the world. You see, we, there, there are so many churches who say, okay, you know, I need to help God help me. So, uh, you know, I want God's presence in worship, so I'm going to hype up the people. I'm going to really fire them up, you know, so they get all excited. But that's not God's presence, Hype is not God's presence, okay? Or, you know, we, we want prophecy, you know, so, so, so we're going to uh, help God, you know, speak to us, you know, by speaking even when he's not speaking. That's not prophecy. That's false prophecy. We cannot help God help us, okay? That's use our revival, okay? And you might say, okay, it's a bit better than Saul revival, but it's still use our revival. It's still not God's ideal, you know, I always say, you know, you get certain churches that are spirit churches. They're very excited about the spirit, and they either ignore the word or they only pay lip service to the word. And they, like user, do um, the right thing but in the wrong way. They, they, they'll be very excited about the spirit, but they, they, they ignore the word. Okay? And then you get other churches that are word churches, you know, very sort of dry and dour you know, very strict and, you know, according to the, the rules, but very dour and depressing, I think, you know. <laughs> and we, not, we don't want to be either of those churches. We don't want to be a spirit church or a word church. We want to be a word and spirit church that does, that, that, that is as passionate about, uh, as David about God's presence, but as committed as he eventually became to doing it God's way, not the world's way, according to the word. That's what we want to be. Um, so notice when those were carrying the ark and notice that even the Levites who were the guys designated now the Levites were the priestly guys uh, and they were 
mediators, you know, between God and the people, the, the priest, you know, a priest is a mediator between God and the people. Where even, even the mediators have mediators because they don't touch the ark directly, the presence of God directly, but they, they have those golden poles going through the rings. So even the mediators have mediators, okay, <laughs> because it's, you know, God's presence is holy, and, and if, you, if you try and touch it directly, it's dangerous, you know, you, it, could, it could kill you. And then the other thing that David realized is that they need to sacrifice. And it says when they had carried the, the, the ark six paces, now six is the number of man. Okay? Seven is the complete number or the number of the spirit. You start see which direction this is going. When you came into the tabernacle, into the outer court, before you could come to the ark of the covenant representing God's presence, you ran straight bang into a big altar where you had to make blood sacrifices. And you couldn't make blood sacrifices. You couldn't get into God's presence without making sacrifices. Because of our sin, atonement needs to make by, be made by the shedding of blood. Now, in the charismatic church, sometimes we try and slip past the altar and get into the Holy of Holies and God's presence without first going through the sacrifice. And David realized you can't do that. You've got to sacrifice. Okay? But they had to re-sacrifice repeatedly, every six steps. Okay? But if you went into the holy place... You had the, the, the altar of the, the bread of the showbread representing the word of God, the altar of incense representing prayer, and then the menorah, the sevenfold candle. Okay, six steps, one less than seven. The menorah, which lighted up the holy place, which represents the Spirit of God. And and the presence of God, the, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And David realized he had to sacrifice. And it's interesting, it says he wore ephod. You know what an ephod is? I'm not going to look up the scriptures now because I'm out of time. I'll read the scriptures to you. But an ephod was what the priest wore. In 1 Samuel 2 verse 18, little Samuel, who was raised by Eli the high priest, wears a priestly ephod. The high priest wore an ephod. So yet you have David, who is a king, who also wrote many of the Psalms, which were prophetic, so he's a prophet, wearing the ephod, so he's also a priest ushering in the presence of God into Jerusalem, dancing before the ark, pointing, as it were, to the true and greater David, his ultimate son, the son of David, Jesus, who was the ultimate king, prophet, and priest, who would usher the presence in, of, of God in amongst the people of God, not by sacrificing every six steps a bull and a fattened calf, but sacrificing once for all his own body on the cross. So, in, in other words, <laughs> Yuza touched the ark, touched the presence of God and died. Jesus, as it were, also touched the presence of God and died so that in him it is now safe to enter into the presence of God. In fact, he makes us, in a sense, the church, the new ark of the covenant, and he pours out the presence of God into us. So now, because of Jesus... It's no longer dangerous to come into the presence of a holy God. It's no longer dangerous for unholy, sinful people like us to come into the presence of a holy God. Because God has made a way. Can you see how committed God is to bringing us into His presence? God wants us in His presence more than we want to be in His presence. He is willing to die to allow us into His presence. If you, if you don't understand that, if you don't understand the gospel, you look at that story of Yuzah and you'll say, well, God is willing to kill people to keep them out of his presence. No, exactly the opposite. God is willing to die to get people into his presence. Can you see that? Can you see how great God is? Can you see how much he loves us? But can you see that he's God? He's loving and he's holy. And so when we realize that, I mean, David only realized that partially. And that realization of, the, in a sense, when he got the answer to the question, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? How can the presence of the Lord ever come to me? When he got the answer to that question, and he did bring the, presence, the, the ark of the Lord to him, he was so delighted and overjoyed that he danced with all his might before the ark. Danced before the Lord. It, it humbled him so much that God wanted to be with him that he was completely undignified. So much so that his, his, his wife despised him for it. But he was so overjoyed. 
And David was only seeing that truth through a glass darkly. He was only seeing the shadow. We can look back and see the substance of what Jesus did. How much more should we rejoice? How much more should we humble ourselves and dance before the presence of the Lord when we realize this great thing? So for us corporately, I just want to say, there are going to be soul movements which sort of ignore the presence of God. We don't want to be part of that. There are going to be user movements and revivals that you know, are excited about the presence of God, but ignore the word. We don't want to be part of that. We want to be, we want true revival, the word and the spirit. God's presence, God's way, according to God's word. And when we get that, I'm telling you, we will dance like David danced. We will sing like David sang. We will humble ourselves and be undignified like David was. And we will rejoice like he rejoiced. And that fear and that anger at misunderstanding God, it will evaporate. It'll be gone. Just like David's was gone. And it was replaced with joy and rejoicing. You want that? You can have it in Jesus. Let's stand. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a moment and just focus on the Lord. And I want you, you see, ultimately, you know, I, I was speaking, but I'm, I, according to the word, the Holy Spirit actually is the ultimate teacher. And the Holy Spirit, as you were listening, was speaking certain things to your heart. And he might have spoken different things to different people. And you know what the Holy Spirit has said to you. You know what the Holy Spirit has highlighted to you. And I just want you, as your eyes are closed and you're focused on the Lord, I want you to respond to that. I want you to respond to what the Holy Spirit has said to you or shown you. And if you need to repent, repent. If you need to thank God, thank Him. If you, if you, whatever you need to do, just respond and say, Lord, I'm doing what you're showing me to do. I'm doing, doing what you instructed me to do. Just in your own words. I'm just going to give you a minute to do that. some of you here this evening you you're starting to register maybe even for the first time a desire for God's presence and maybe you were asking the question how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me how can God's presence which is a holy presence ever come to me without me being destroyed and maybe tonight you got the answer for the first time that there is a sacrifice there's a sacrifice that has been made the death of God's that, that, that comes from God's wrath being poured out against our sin has already been poured out against the one who ultimately touched his presence and died died the death that we should have died when we dared to come into God's presence so that we can dare to come into God's presence and do so safely and experience His love. And maybe you are starting to register that desire to come into God's presence and maybe you're realizing for the first time that, that Jesus is that sacrifice. He's the ultimate David ushering in the presence of God, making the presence of God safe to us. And maybe you want to respond and say, well, if, 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 
Jesus was willing to die so that I can experience his presence and his love. How can I not respond to him? If there's anyone like that who has never responded before and and committed their life to the Lord, and, and, and this evening you'd like to do that, maybe for the first time you're really understanding the gospel, both the fact that our sin is more serious than we realize, but that God's love for us is also greater than we realize. You're more guilty than you ever dared imagine and yet more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. If you may be realizing that for the first time and you want to respond, just quickly put up your hand because I'd like to pray with you and just lead you in a prayer. If there's anyone like that says, I want to come to Jesus, I want to come through Jesus to the Father. Anyone want to respond? Just put up your hand if that's you. Okay, then, to us as Christians, I think the message is the same as the message to Jesus. Ach, the message through, uh, to, to David. David, I love your heart. I'm so glad you want my presence. I'm so glad you love me and that you want my presence. But I want you to usher in my presence my way, according to the way of the word, not the way of the world. And I think God is challenging us to keep our passion for his presence, to be as committed to experiencing his presence, but to say, I'm not going to do it the world's way. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to, comp- I'm not going to use manipulation and, uh, and all kinds of other gimmicks and tricks to try and pretend that God's presence is here. I'm going to allow God to just manifest his presence among us. And I'm going to obey him in the process. And if that, if, if that rings true to you and if that touches your heart, I just want you to pray and just recommit yourself to both the, God's word and God's spirit. Just in your own words, as a Christian, just say, God, I, I'm committed. I'm, I'm not going to choose between them. I choose your word and your spirit. presence is here and when we come when we when we're in Christ Jesus says if you ask anything in my name the Father will do it for you it'll be done for you by the Father so I just want you to think if you have any need specifically you know I want you to think of things that might be keeping you out away from actually experiencing God's presence and I want you to just bring those things before the Lord and say Lord I bring this mountain before you that's blocking me from experiencing your presence just bring it to the Lord and say Lord remove it let it be cast into the sea deliver me from this God, we want to be a community, Lord, where your presence is tangible, Lord. A community that lives according to your word. The people of your presence. We want to show the world what heaven looks on, looks like on earth. We want to be a, a foretaste, a preview of what you intended for this world to look like. And we pray, Lord God, that people walk into our midst and say, truly, 
God is in your midst. Truly, God is amongst you. That they'll experience both the utter, even scary holiness of God as the secrets of their hearts are revealed. But that they'll also fall down and worship as they experience the overwhelming love of God that has made a way for them to be saved. Lord, let us be a community like that. Let us be such a community. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray, Lord, that each person here who is here this evening, Lord, will really experience your presence, Lord, in a way that they've never done before. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and a continuing abiding presence and communion, fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with each of you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that each of us will experience you as we go out into this week. And not only experience you, experience your presence, but that the people around us as we go out, as it were, the the new covenant equivalent of the Ark of the Covenant, as we go out into this world, that people will experience your presence. Experience that thing that they are longing for, but they don't even know what it is. And that they'll be drawn to you. Lord, thank you, Lord, that that you send us into this world as bearers of your presence. Lord, we so easily forget that you are inside of us. That we are, that we have a treasure in these jars of clay. Help us remember every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobberg.com.